Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Welcome to another edition of The Coaching Show. I can't tell if my voice is coming over overmodulated. Alex, am I overmodulated today? You sound beautiful, like um, like, uh, like a romance novel come to life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that would be the dulcet tones of Alex Terranova. He, uh, you got your PCC, didn't you? I did get my PCC. Woo-woo. This is what happens when uh, when people you that uh, that you believe in and and um, you look at as mentors bully you. Um, so yep. I, I'm not an advocate for bullying, like for children, but sometimes with yep. adults, right? Like you basically bullied me into a PCC. <laughs> I actually asked my clients. <laughs> I actually asked them. I say, would it be okay with you if I manipulated you for your own ends? And they always say yes. There has not yet been a no. Like, manipulate me, do whatever you can, as long as I achieve the result. Consensual manipulation. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me of some parties when I was 20. Uh, That was the amazing voice, the voice, I should say, the amazing voice of the amazing. Imani Romney Ross Chapman. Did Did I get all the names correct? You're so close. It's Imani Romney Rosa Chapman. Rosa Chapman. I'm sorry. It's it's an (laughs) I thing. It's not a a speech thing. Couldn't. (laughs) couldn't read uh our guest today and um alex is there anything before we before we get to amani that we need to talk about we we sort of made it through all the all the um conference season the virtual conference season this year anything you want to share with the class you've been rodeo riding right i have been rodeo riding i've actually been doing a lot of things that i've never done before and some of that was horseback camping, fishing, like some of these things maybe I did once or twice when I was a kid. But I am like, I said to somebody, I'm a city boy. And one of the people at this rodeo I was at this week went, no, 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 you are the city boy. So being at some of these things, getting used to cowboy boots and being with a lot of people that I'm not used to being around, that just the, the, the way they see the world, the way they the things they believe has been like kind of a shocker, especially in the environment that we're in that we're going to talk a lot about today. And so I've actually been thrust into a lot of conversations that I don't know that I was prepared to be in Mm. and that I'm actually wanting to get more educated around. So I've been putting myself into different, uh, I put myself into a diversity inclusion course with LinkedIn. I also started conversations, Christopher, you know about this on my podcast, the Dream Mason podcast, that are all conversations about race, diversity, inclusion, and I'm bringing on people of different races, genders, sexual orientations, you know, and basically just talking to them about what it's like to be them. So they're not like telling me how to be better. We're not having a debate about how the world, it's just like getting to understand what it's like to be in their skin, live, you know, as them as human beings. And it's been eye opening, and it's, it's, I mean, if no one listens to it, I am growing because of hearing what it's like to be someone else. So, and where do we find that? Really uncomfortable. I I get that. Where where do we find this podcast that nobody could listen to? (laughs) The Dream Mason podcast, and all those episodes are called Conversations on Race. I think they're called Conversations on Race, Diversity, and Inclusion. And then each one has a different guest. Beautiful. Well, um. 
I also have taken on some some education because let's face it, you and I were a couple of white guys. Uh, is that how you identify? I, I, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, one of the things I realized is the privilege of never having to identify. Right. Like I never, but I also learned in this process from having these conversations that a lot of people don't see me as oh, they they're like, what is this guy? They they look at me and they think like maybe he's Middle Eastern, maybe he's mm-hmm. Italian, Greek. Like they don't actually know. If so then I'm feel- like, wait. I, <laughs> but I've I I don't I've never even really thought. I mean I, I guess the way I think about it is when I get pulled over by a police officer, I relate to myself as white. That's kind of I don't you know so. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. Uh, what a great lens to look through. <laughs> what, what would what would the police officer see? Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, as a uh, as these extraordinary gains in civil rights and civil rights awareness have happened, unfortunately, due to horrific terrible murders um, recently. And, uh, you know, things seem to be leaping forward now at a rate that I I am delighted and never, frankly, thought that I would see, you know, all these sort of quantum leaps in terms of awareness and Confederate symbols coming down and all sorts of things happening all at the same time. I realize how ignorant I am about issues of race and, and class and privilege and oppression and the systemic racism throughout. But I so love that we as white people are finally realizing that it's up to us to talk amongst other white people and not put more burden on people to, you know, explain to me what what biracial means and who qualifies and that sort of thing. Right. But at the same time, I'm aware of my own ignorance. So I've taken on a, a challenge with some teams I'm on of one educational piece a day. Doesn't matter if you, you know, if it's a long, like you don't have to read a whole book every day, but something every day to increase your awareness, education, or or be in touch with the racial oppression, the chronic systemic racial oppression in our country and around the world. Um, and it's been really great. I notice uh, that my kids' teachers are also like the summer reading list is very heavy on, on a, awareness of racial issues and oppression and even class. So I'm I'm delighted about what we're taking on, and so um, this may be a this may be a, a story we should get Imani in here to talk about this. But I was I was on a team um, training this week, and somebody I somebody that I didn't see as biracial identified as biracial because of um, because of the lines of um, uh, different types of people in her family. And so I, I reached out to um, one of the more racially aware people on the call who was a person of color. And I said, if, you know, I hate to be so ignorant, but is this what biracial means? And she said, yes, that'll be $10. And so I Venmoed her 10 bucks because I was like, you know what? That's fair. That's totally fair. If you're going to, you're going to spend your little time educating me, why not? I don't know um, if you've seen the invoice about emotional labor that's been being passed around. No. It's, yes, just along those lines. Is it for, like, is, I can't even imagine the bill. Right, it's um, like holding space for you while you work through your own identity, providing examples and vocabulary for people who are new to the language. Yeah. Alex, um, I'm, I've had the privilege at the recent ACTO Association of Coach Training Organizations conference to to be with Imani, and and you were there last year too, right, Imani? No, this is my first time. Oh, really? It was wonderful. Who am I? Who am I thinking? 
of anyway would uh, um, Alex would you do the honor of introducing Imani to our audience um sure let me I you know you, you 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 know you always do this to me you I spring do. it on me randomly without letting me you know when I do intros I prep I don't like to read people's bios but um so thanks for springing on me <laughs> do you do you want me to or to call an ambulance no i just you know i just would you know i would i would like um okay stop no stop whining know? nobody listens <laughs> nobody listens to a podcast full of whining um unless it's am talk radio so amani chapman has more than 25 years which is a lot. <laughs> I, right when I read that, I was like, wow, there's a lot of experience here. So more than 25 years of experience organizing, educating, and developing curriculum for social, social justice. Whether as a leadership coach, facilitator, or trainer, Ms. Chapman, has her focus is on creating safe and inclusive environments for learning, growth, and justice. Her work with board, staff, facility, students, counselors, and others, and other stakeholders in religious communities, secular communities, schools, and nonprofit organizations has informed their goals of sustained change. She currently serves on the board for the Roger L. Wallace Excellence in, Teach in Teaching Award on the Sterling Committee for the Coalition of Faith slash Spiritual slash Ethical Communities for the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, and was one this of the founding co- what were you now? You're going to interrupt me. That's now right. This is it. not this going. Is, this is this is like an award well. speech where you come on stage. Basically, <laughs> she has a lot more experience than both of us, Christopher. A lot more, and we should listen to her. She she currently is also uh, writing a book about racial intimacy and anti-racism, and she's in Brooklyn, and she's coming no. to us all the way across the country. She's in her palatial mansion in Harlem. Oh, We've oh. already established that. Oh, she works for sorry. with a Brooklyn synagogue, Brooklyn synagogue where her writings on racial intimacy and anti-racism are This is available. why you don't put people on the spot for introduction. <laughs> I just want you to stop whining so we can talk to Imani now. <laughs> I apologize for us butchering that. Uh, Imani, what I want to share with people about my experience of you is how authentic, present, and kind you are in a conversation which is so easily given to hatred or divisiveness or righteousness. You're in an open heart and a brilliant mind, and I'm delighted to welcome you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, I, I'm totally fine with you butchering it. You know why? I'll give, I'll give you a hint. This work is always about relationships, and Alex and I had such a nice connection before we got on the line, and that is the lubricant with which we do this work and the place mm -hmm. we always come to rest back on, right, is the connection we, we have with one another as human beings. Well, thanks for that. That's everything we need right there. <laughs> <laughs> Interview complete. Um, <laughs> What's the work that you're doing mostly these days? What are people reaching out for? What are people needing? The last two weeks have been a powerful surge of, there's racism. I heard you can help. Can you fix it by next week? <laughs> um, and so I, I've been really enthusiastic about folks who are awakening in the process of awakening around issues of equity and injustice and the brutality of our country's history. Um, it just goes so deep. It goes so deep. And as you mentioned earlier, um, Alex, it's like, if we don't have to think about it, we don't. I'm the same way about being, 
you know, able-bodied. I'm the same way about being cisgender. And that level of being able to identify what it means to have the privilege of walking away or opting into or out of a conversation is powerful for all of us in some sphere in which we live. Um, and so I'm grateful for the folks who are, who are coming on board and want to throw their power behind it. Um, and I'm also really grateful for what I'm starting to call the anti-racist marathoners, right? Folks who have been at it for a really long time um, and have sustained this work and have made this moment possible. You know, I stand on the shoulders of my parents who have been doing this work their entire lives, um, sometimes at the kitchen table, sometimes in, on the block, right on the stoop, and sometimes in boardrooms. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. That's, that's one bucket of projects for me. Um, and then as Alex mentioned, I also am co-chair for the New York Metro Anti-Racist Coalition for Faith, Ethical, and Spiritual Communities. And this has been a real time of coming together for us. And um, we're supported in that work by the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. And there are a number of us really working to, to turn the key in organizations to move their endeavors from making outside statements and changing things outside to really looking at how this work shows up in our own organizations and how to be more mission consistent with internal practices and procedures. I love so much of what you've shared. First of all, there's a coalition of faith, spiritual, and ethical communities. <laughs> I want to go there. Um, but I, if, if you don't mind, I'll take this in a little bit of an odd direction, maybe, which is that one of the things that strikes me about you, as I mentioned earlier, is this authentic relationship you have. What I notice is that in issues of, of race, uh, equity and justice, all of it, these days, I'm being careful with my words. Now, partly it's because I lead an organization and we've all seen what saying stupid stuff has done for organizational leaders recently. But also I notice that I'm not comfortable that my language is clean and, you know, doesn't carry weights of lots of different things. But I notice that you seem to travel lightly and definitively in these areas where few of us fear to tread or where most of us fear to tread what what sort of self care or or daily rituals or something do you do so that you can speak so eloquently and so authentically on these difficult topics you know one of my favorite books i'm now reading for the third time is a book by professor dolly chug from nyu came out last year called The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias. I'll show you how, I'll show you my binding of what it looks like right now, right? So these are like the things I have earmarked. They're about 30 right. post-its there. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I think she does a great job of doing is talking about how growth mindset can impact equity and systemic change and bias, right? I am gonna mess up. It is about right, grace and the patience of the people who will teach me that I can move forward into having language that is humanizing. I think you use the word clean, but it really is hard. As Alex noted at the beginning, right, that there is this concept of um, exogenous and endogenous identity, right? How we see ourselves versus how other people see us. 
and sometimes they align and sometimes they don't and sometimes they partially align. <laughs> um, and so it, it took me a long time to say I'm going to get it wrong, but I am going to get it wrong and building relationships with people who will, you know, call me in around that and say, um, you know, that person identifies as they, and they might remind me of that two or three times and I might forget. And I know that in my, I'm, I love learning. And so when I think about the science of the brain and how it was created to keep us alive and the ways in which that keeps us from moving forward <laughs> today, I think is a big deal, right? I think about uh, Dr. Zaretta Hammond's work, culturally responsive teaching in the brain and she does an incredible assessment of the functions of the brain <laughs> and how our limbic system works to preserve us, but also some limitations, right? We don't, we are not able to always tell the difference between physical threat and psychological threat. We are not able to tell the difference between what's happening right now and what's happening in some kind of ancestral trauma or something we're projecting into the future. And so that's, that's in part how I find the compassion is I'm going to make a mistake. You're going to make a mistake <laughs> sometimes, you know, and we want to make sure that we're doing it in relationship with people. So we're not picking people off to say, teach me this, or it's your responsibility. You're obligated. Um, moving out of our circle, expanding our circle so that we build racial intimacy with other people and other types of intimacy with other people around identity so that we can ask really hard questions in a space where the, the person has signed up for it, <laughs> right? Because they signed up for the relationship. And, and if they don't want to do it, they can say no and nothing's going to break down there. Mm. You know? In terms of my own self-care though, one of the things I do a lot is I laugh I laugh with my family. <laughs> I laugh. We like to dance together. Um, and I, and that is, you know, in this moment, I, I think it wouldn't be as surprising as four or five weeks ago to say that joy, joy in a, in a black body is revolutionary to maintain joy is um, a sustaining force. We have been through a lot. We will continue to be through a lot. We have had people at our side to move through this. And there are now ostensibly more people at our side, right? But laughter and fun and rest, you know, Brene Brown talks about cultivating rest. Audre Lorde talks about self-care as self-preservation, right? So holding on to, to my ancestry, to my inheritance, um, and remembering that I am worth, I am worth more than I can say and to be around people who reflect that back to me and for whom I can reflect that in their lives. What a beautiful answer. You, you just, as I'm listening to you, Amani, I'm thinking about how the, the privilege it is to have not had to be aware or practice these things like your whole life, right? As a, as, um, as a, I want to say a person of color or somebody who identifies as, as maybe not straight or doesn't uh, hold the, uh, the pronouns, the, the his and her, um, the, the, your whole life is, is um, an experience of that. You don't get to, to not be right. When I was like, I don't, I know what I identify as, right. That's a privilege. And I noticed that a lot of people in that space, like Christopher just alluded to it, it's almost like we're not prepared 
for the the battle. Like I noticed, we were talking about this before we started recording, that I'm like feeling inundated, not just by what the United States is inside of, but what if if I then look out at the world, I like can't, it's too much. There's too much wrong, there's too many. And it becomes hard for me to see possibility, becomes hard for me to see um, something positive on the other side and just like beats me down. I'm kind of looking for, um, like, what can we what can we give to people that feel that way, that are experiencing that, whether wherever they are, to how to stay? Because it seems like, you know, as someone who has had to basically or has been fighting this battle, you have to deal with, you've been dealing with that. You've learned how to take care of yourself. You've learned how to endure and, um, and nourish yourself. Is there, is there, are there tips, strategies, um, or is it just like, hey, you just got to be in it? And, and it's like, you know, it's, it's like cardio, you just got to be in it and it's going to hurt for a little while. And then it's going to get, you know, you're going to get stronger. I think it's probably more like weightlifting, mm -hmm. right? That we, we navigate the amount that we're lifting and we navigate how many reps and we navigate how many sets. Um, you know, one of the things that we give people is our ear, right? Um, we witness them and their experience and we say, we see you. Um, and I think it's important to remember that as much as I have some identities that are marginalized or targeted, I also have identities that are dominant or centered, right? I am not poor. I did not grow up poor. And I, don't, I have some proximity to poverty, certainly, but I, um, I had access, a lot of educational access. Um, growing up and that is a, has been a gift um, for me so I think it for me it's a lot about both and and not about either or so some of the things that we give folks are saying I hear you and I see that you're struggling in this way and I see that you could be influential in this way describe describe what your sphere of influence is and take the steps make them small and don't stop, <laughs> right? In, in Judaism, we have a, a saying that comes from Pirkei Avot, which is, it is not yours to complete the task, but neither are you free to desist from it. And that is, I think a lot of it's about pacing and making sure that we are not trying to, um, you know, and keeping our eye really focused on what are the changes I can make. I know I heard a lot in the last four years about the importance of choosing a strand and sticking with it, right? Hunger or mass incarceration or right, just literacy, voting rights, and becoming part of a community that also helps to sustain us. I mean, one of the dominant characteristics of US culture is individualism, right? And I say, when I say that, it means we don't often know how to operate in a collective, um, but the collective is really what helps to sustain us. Being in community while doing this work helps to sustain us, not pushing ourselves away from people who are like us, who are not as progressed as we are, right? Shame is not a tool in my in my liberation movement it's not a tool but it's so prevalent and we could pick it up anywhere <laughs> it is it's true it's really prevalent and the harder tool is love 
right? It really, um, love in the, <laughs> love in the sense that I, I love and respect myself. I love and respect you as a human being, right? And there can be some disagreement, but there can't be, as, as James Baldwin said, there can't be disagreement about my humanity, right? I, sorry, I'm struggling with this question. On, on the one hand, I love what you just said. Um, I guess I want to take a bit of an exception to this you know, follow a thread because for many of us in an organizational setting, the, the organization, at least my organization, you know, a year ago, people were saying we need to do more about climate change. Right. Mm -hmm. And then three months ago, people were saying we need to do more about the pandemic. And now we need to do more about, um, racism, systemic oppression, you know, diversity, equity, injustice, right. All of that. And while I, while I think it's true as somebody who leads an organization that we can always do more, I also feel like sustainability is the key. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to make a change last year that I'm not going to be able to sustain this year, right? I don't want to do climate change like, oh, we're going to make it all, you know, real dishes last year, right? Only to go back to plastic this year. So as an organizational leader, it's important to me that we think about and actually have a plan for the sustainability of any initiatives that we start but it also feels like we need to be multifaceted we need to be addressing all the things instead of just one thing so um i think you were speaking on an individual level about choosing kind of what your focus is but uh when we get to an organization is that we just need a lot of people one each to take on all the things or do you see it differently do you have any comments I think my primary comment is that our, our mission statement should always guide us in terms of organizations. It makes it very, I mean, we make some very exclusive, exclusionary statements in our mission and we make some statements about inclusion. There are certain things that are gonna be in our wheelhouse and then there are certain things that are not gonna be in our wheelhouse. And as we continue to come back to the mission, it should continue to guide us in really important ways. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing that I'll say is that um, so there are domains and then there are identities, right? So if I think about, I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to quote from the People's Institute website because I feel like they have said, said this in a way that really has impacted the way I do my work. Um, so their core training is called Undoing Racism. It's copyrighted. And they assert that racism is the single most critical barrier to building effective coalitions for social change. Racism has been consciously and systematically erected, and it can be undone only if people understand what it is, where it comes from, how it functions, and why it's perpetuated. And the reason why I bring that up is that in because of the way our country is constructed, race has managed to divide almost every liberation movement in history, right? This is why we have things like feminism and then white feminism. This is why we have, um, I mean, I'm so excited about the Supreme Court 
having passed legislation, right, having passed this rule that people can be safe at their jobs. Right? This is for companies that are 15 people or more, right? So what I know now is that one in six people are still not safe at their job. So there's more work to do, right? When I think about myself and the way that um, being a, right, the case of Edie Windsor before the Supreme Court in terms of being instrumental in passing what's called gay marriage, I guess, <laughs> right? We popularly call it gay marriage. I think you could have, a, it, it has a better name in Spanish than it does in English. But um, the, the idea that what we put our collective power behind was gay marriage really in an effort to preserve capital, to preserve wealth, right? To not have to pay taxes on mm -hmm. inheritance from our loved ones, right? I benefited from that. Um, I, I, I know that I will benefit from that moving forward. When I was married before my first wife died, may she rest in peace, and mm -hmm. she, um, we didn't have that then, right? right so right. whatever I was going to get wasn't going to, um, was going to be taxed really heavily because our, our relationship, our family was not being recognized. And during that time period, I really benefited because I could go, we live in New York, right? And New York has very, is, is accepting in ways that sometimes other places are not. And so I could go visit her in the hospital. Her doctors would talk to me about her care. There was no complication in that way. Um, but I was thrilled about gay marriage passing because I knew that it meant more safety and security for my, my child and my future family. Um, but you know what a lot of queer folks want, what a lot of LGBTQQI folks want is to have housing and to have job security, right? The, this is a class issue, but it's also a race issue, right? So as we talk about where do we put our bucket in environmental change, um, we, I think about the racial divide there. Who is living in environmental apartheid, right? When I think about the women's movement and wanting to work outside of the home mm. versus people of color who had been domestics and working outside of the home for generations and generations, this idea of working outside of the home was not new for people of color and especially black people in this country. Right. We see how these different movements don't coalesce because the interests are not um, mutually informed, I guess mm -hmm. is what I would say. Um, and so when we think about as an organization trying to undertake something, my, my suggestion, right, my assertion would be do what you do, but do it in a race conscious way. Do it in a way where you know what the impact is going to be, not just on people who look like the board of your organization, but people who come from a variety of experiences and have a variety of survival things that they're still working on and not quite yet thriving. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. 
Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. So great. Um, Alex, do you have something? Do you want me to follow? I No, I, I hear, I hope, I hope I'm not getting anything in the background. There's somebody doing some physical labor outside. Um, the thing that I was thinking as as you both were talking was the idea of perfectionism, right? Like it almost sounded like Christopher was heading on like, how do we be perfect as a company in all these different areas? And I read recently that perfectionism was a mindset of like white supremacy. And you're smiling, um, so I'm curious. Like, if you have something to, well, I like almost don't want to finish my, where I was going. I'm just curious about that because I'm I'm wondering. Like, I only have my perspective, which I see as you know. Like I said, I would identify as white. I think I've been in very diverse communities growing up in Los Angeles and living in New York. But I still, if I look around, more people than not look similar to me that are around me. And I noticed that it's very, that idea of perfectionism is huge in the communities that I've been in. And so you're smiling. I want you to, I want you to take it. And uh, I'm curious what you have to say or what you were thinking. Yeah, I, what I'm thinking is I almost brought that up earlier with individualism and, and I opted not to. And so the first thing that I thought of was, and this is, this is right. I'm a person of color. Right? This is a podcast so people may not know. I'm a, I'm a queer Afro Latina Jew, right. Living in New York. And, um, and so one of the roles that I, one of the, the dualities that I live with is that I, I know that I can name certain things in certain spaces without too many ripples and in other spaces it will cause huge waves um, and dissonance and disconnect, right? And so as we were talking about earlier, my relationship with you is 30, 30 40 minutes old <laughs> and, um, and so there are certain choices we have to make about how we're going to spend our own emotional time. Right. So the, my first response when you brought it up, as soon as you said perfectionism is, I said, I know where this is going. <laughs> because one of the things I use in my work um, are the white supremacy cultural characteristics. Right. These were compiled by uh, a group called Dismantling Racism. 
uh, led by a number of people, two of whom are Tama Okun, who's a white woman, and Kenneth Jones, who's an African-American man who passed away. He also has his roots back with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. Um, and what they did was over time, they, they compiled these characteristics that they saw emerge during their trainings on racism uh, with people about what shows up in the conversation during the training, but also what they are saying shows up in their organizations. And there, I feel like it bears clarifying because white supremacy still evokes for people like white hood burning cross. It bears yes. clar <laughs> clarifying two things. One is that these characteristics show up in all of us because our country has been, has a foundation that is common, even if our individual experiences vis-a-vis -vis our identity are different. So these are not characteristics of white people or all white people or only white people. And then the second thing I'll say is that white supremacy, it's pretty simple. Um, white was made up. Uh, before there was white, there was Christian, uh, or there, were, there was Englishmen in the history of our, of our nation. And white is a category that is ever-changing. It constricts and it expands. And the role of white essentially was to consolidate power, right? We, we had in our history a juncture or many junctures where the options were to develop. And this I, this I heard, I feel like I heard it on the podcast Seeing White that John Bewin uh, produces uh, out, of the, out of Duke. Um, and he has a great partner, Professor Chendrai Kumunika, who is now in a school in Jersey. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I heard this and I really, it really helped me that in our history, there was this option of either developing a, a cross racial class solidarity or a cross class racial solidarity. And the legal history of our country started giving kind of crumbs to poor white people who might be more invested in joining together with formerly enslaved people than with the hierarchy with the gentry. Um, and they started giving punishments, right? So they started giving crumbs of privilege and power, a little bit of money, uh, and they started giving punishments. So if you were in solidarity with these people, we are going to treat you similarly to these people, right? Um, and there's a lot, there's a deep history around that. Um, so white is created, it's malleable, um, and it's used to consolidate power. And supremacy just means it's the best. Like the shortest version of white supremacy is white is right. Meaning the way white people think and live, white people's perspectives, white people's operating patterns, white people's right dress, if we think about corporate culture and we think about dress code, for example, um, there are certain ethnicities that have certain requirements like uh, wearing turbans, right? Certain religious practices. Um, folks are often, we saw this even this spring in a high school where a, a young African-American man was not allowed to 
participate in his graduation because he had locks and they were too long and they were above his, you know, they were below the collar, and, right? So this kind of thing that says the way we do it is the right way, <laughs> that is the best. And also I would add to that, that in order to become white or to be allowed to become white, that white folks have to let go of Europeans primarily have to let go of the ethnicity and culture and richness and belonging that they have with the places that they come from, which is why when you talk with white people often they, they say, oh, I don't know, I'm a European mod or I'm not sure, or I'm just white, right? That didn't happen in one generation. It usually happens over three generations. Um, or if you look at Ellis Island and the chopping off of names and the redistribution, like that is the process of becoming white. So that was a long, <laughs> a long thing to say about white supremacy. But um, when we look at white supremacy culture, what we're offered by Jones and Akun are two things. And I think we talk, we've started to talk about the first and we haven't started to talk about the second, which is they offer a list of characteristics, including perfectionism, uh, quantity over quality, um, paternalism, either or thinking, fear of open conflict, right? And then they offer us antidotes, organizational antidotes, where we can start to build what April Baskin calls habits, right? We can start to build habits into our organization and, and shift our culture. Um, and perfectionism is compelling, right? And it it's also has a gendered element to it. <laughs> um, we often talk about it as a woman's thing. Um, but yeah, we're not going to get it. We're not going to get it perfectly. But I think we can continue to be open to correction, and we can continue to be in relationships where that correction does not feel like a personal assault. I don't know if you've ever seen that graphic where it says, you know, um, your comfort zone, and then off to the side it says where the magic happens, right? So beautiful. I um, I always take so much when you when you speak and you're so well read and so well educated and can reference people's works. I always sort of stumble and say, "Oh, I read this thing," right? <laughs> but I do know that um, Desiree Attaway in her sort of free, you know, one hour basic uh, sort of blew my mind because she added the element of analysis. She said a lot of times when people become aware, the next the next step is action. And that's kind of what you said at the beginning of our conversation, right? That everybody's like, hey, let's fix this racism thing. Come on, by Thursday. Mm -hmm. And one of, the, one of the things that I feel is incumbent upon all of us is to come up with this long-term strategy or what are we going to do for our life and, a sport, of course, as parents too. Um, your work, one of the places you work, one of the many places you contribute is uh, in coaching and consulting is through Romney Associates, which is on the web at Romney, R-O-M-N-E-Y, Associates, spell out the entire word, dot com. Um, there's a little bit of a history there. I noticed that there's this Pat Romney, that, that person shares the same last name, well, one of your last names, as Imani Romney Rosa Chapman. So uh, want to tell us about that? I do. I do. I want to I want to interject and just let you know that this idea of my retaining names and being well read is available to everybody. <laughs> That's the first thing. There's so I mean if you've looked at the New York Times bestseller list, there is an open invitation nationally, right? 
they're reprinting books that have been sold out around the country to have access to this kind of information. It's and, so great. And that, and also that I like, I have to do that, Chris. I have to do that, right? As a black woman, I have to know it has to be grounded in literature and I have to remember the names, right? I have to credential that way because my identity doesn't, the entitlement does not precede me into the room. And so this is a, this is a tool. This is a trick of the trade, you know? Um, and the other thing I just want to say before I forget, and I will tell you the family story because it's, it brings me so much joy is that, uh, there's a, a group called Find the Outside. They have a podcast, Find the Outside. And uh, it's a collaboration with uh, Tuesday Ryan Hart. And of course, I'm forgetting his name because I'm, I'm sitting here on the show. <laughs> we just had this conversation. But they have a, uh, Tim Mary, they have a, <laughs> an episode called Problem, Fix It. And it really is about moving from that thinking to strategic long-term thinking. Uh, and I, and that's exactly the kind of thinking that brought my family in, in, into creating this business. You know, my grandfather uh, came to this country. He was born in 1896. <laughs> he came wow. to this country from Trinidad, um, not, you know, not having finished high school, but from a pretty uh, class privileged family and white passing. Uh, so he came here and he started a barbershop. He really believes in business. Uh, it's a great business model. It was open on Boston Road in New York for a long time. And when my parents decided that they wanted to take work that they had been doing kind of independently ad hoc and move into a corporation, they decided they wanted to be for profit to be able to include and employ as many people of color as they could. Um, the business is named for my grandfather. His name is Hubert Forbes Romney. So we're Romney Associates. And it nice. was begun in 1994 with my brother, uh, who's uh, three years older than I am, and my stepfather, Paul Wiley, and my mom, Pat Romney. And it began with some kind of like a donation of 500 or something dollars from my grandfather. We bought a fax machine and some business cards. Um, and, and we're we have survived lots of ups and downs and our, our accountability is to one another as a collective, right? The relationship building really start, starts at home. I, I cannot tell you how many um, family businesses that I've worked with as a coach and it's fraught with peril. And to talk about divisiveness and, and uh, separation, how are you able to function in a business that is also has many family ties and the dynamics that go with that? I'm going to say that my mom is great at doing the MBTI. And so we all know our profiles, <laughs> right? Like a good organizational development. That is such an condition. INTJ thing to say. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You should. You were you at our annual meeting in January? I'm just okay. So I, I think that part of it is that we know what our strengths and weaknesses are, and we're able to name them for ourselves and each other. Like this is really your wheelhouse. I don't really understand this, but I know you do. Can we start here because it will work better for me? And like any relationship, there are breakdowns and there's need for repair, and there are breakdowns and there's need for repair, and 
you know, the extent to which we are able to operate in humility and integrity with each other and make those repairs sooner rather than later, right? Just like we would with our clients, with, with people that we're coaching, right? Just, I think one of the things that I learned, I, I studied at Leadership That Works, um, their coaching for transformation program. And one of the things I learned is that if we talk about how we're gonna manage difficulties, dissonance and conflict at the top of the key, then when we come across it, it might feel frightening, but it, at least we have a little bit of a, an outline of how we, we wanna move through it. Yeah, Alex, resolving conflict. <laughs> and I, I'm curious for, for coaches that are listening, what would be, you know, I've noticed that I have clients that show up and in the, in the networking groups I'm in and whatnot, there's a lot of people that just aren't prepared for what's happening all over the world and, and here in the United States. They don't know how to talk about it. They're, they have very, some of them have very strong opinions one way or the other. And there, there's often a lot of fear. For coaches that are coaching these people, what advice do you have? Or is there a, a specific like coaching resource that you might say, hey, this is a good book to read in this area? Um, what would you offer besides calling you and, and begging for help? <laughs> what, what can coaches do to support their clients or the organizations they're in? I think we have a lot in our, in our toolkit already, right? We have folks who have dedicated time and energy to moving their agenda forward, right? So in, in that way, we have an audience that has said, I am ready for growth. Um, and that gives us a real opening that gives us an opportunity. I think for me, naming what's present is a big part of this, right? One of, one of my, my mentors, when I was becoming trained, said, don't do the analysis for them. Let them do the analysis. You notice, point out. <laughs> notice it and point it out. And then ask them, what do you make of that? Okay. Um, another, Another tool that I that I use often is a reframe, right? So in, in particular, when I'm dealing with clients of color who have a lot of internalized racial um, oppression is they say, well, I haven't been able to get this done. I've committed to this and it's not, I haven't done it yet. And I'll say, I'm going to offer you a reframe, which is of the things that are on your plate, it sounds like you prioritize something else. What was that? And what's important about that to you? Um, to just open up a little bit more space. I think also, you know, sometimes we don't have words, but our, our body has words and experiences, and we can tap our body for that experience, right? Very few people that I know, you know, in my regular life, take time to figure out what sensation, right? Guthrie Sion would say, what's happening? How are you experiencing this in or around your body? Right, how are you experiencing it in or around your body? Whether that is, right, self-righteous indignation, whether it's grief, whether it's sadness, all, there's enough room for all of the feelings. That's what they tell me anyway. <laughs> there's enough room for all of the feelings. And if that's true, then where we are, where we find ourselves in the present moment is okay. And it doesn't mean we have to stay there, 
right? It doesn't mean that we should stay there necessarily, but let's at least establish where we are, get oriented, where are our feet on the ground? And then given the scope of the work and the goals from the outset, how is what's happening out there relevant to what's happening in, in the organization, in the coaching relationship and inside the client? So beautiful. I know that we're in a, um, Alex, did you have something else before we go to parting thoughts? No, go ahead. There's so much to say and so much to address here. And I thank you for the richness of this conversation, Imani. I'm wondering though, two things. The first one, I'll just give them to you one at a time, if that's all right. If you had something to offer coaches, thousands of coaches all over North America anyway, what would you have us take on in the coming months and year? There's so many things that just came flooding in. <laughs> um, we'll take them all, all the things. Uh, here are the hundred first things you should do. <laughs> right. Um, understand the history of the place where you find yourself and your place in that place. Understand, right, really work to think about who am I in the greater narrative and who is not a part of my narrative at all. How can I learn about that experience? And how can I move beyond learning to start to do a very small piece of this work that I can do consistently and imperfectly and better every time, or as Dolly Chug says, stumbling upward, right? Um, in this country in particular, it's important to remember that we are having a racialized experience. Everybody not just people of color and not just black people. Everybody's having a racialized experience. And there are systems and policies and procedures which are in place to maintain that system. We go, just give us a little more about what you mean by a racialized experience. So my professor in, in college, Sat Jolly, who works for Media Education Foundation, um, or <laughs> is in leadership at Media Education Foundation. Uh, he made a book called Tough Guys, G-U-I-S-E. Um, maybe it's called, the subtitle might be Masculinity, Media, and Cultural Violence or something like that. At the beginning of it, he introduced a thought that I had never had before. Give me just a sec. Can you hear that? Yes. Are you writing down all these references, Alex? I don't know if I'm catching all of them, but I'm writing down a lot. I have a lot of notes <laughs> right. from today. We Adam, have, we make, have. And Adam, make sure you edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So no. he, yeah. at the beginning of the documentary, he introduced a concept I had never really thought about before which is when we think about gender, we think about women. 
when we think about sexuality, we think about LGBTQ folks. When we think about race, we think about people of color, right? People of color meaning black, indigenous, multiracial, Latinx, Asian, right? And there's, a, there's another a group of people who have been advocating to be a, a group together, which is Mina, Middle Eastern, North African, right? Those are not the only people who have race. White people also have race, right? So when I say we're having a racialized experience, what I mean is what we do and how we experience the world is informed by racial systems, racial categorization, right? I've heard people say, um, you know, the issue with having a colorblind ideology is that it presumes that race is the problem instead of racism. Super clear. Thank you so much for making that point clearer. Well, our time has flown by for me and I, I'm so grateful for it. Thank you for being with us. I want to give you our last word in the form of a parting thought or a parting shot today. If there were something you could say or words of wisdom or confrontation or creation that you wanted to leave a few thousand coaches with today, what would you what would you have us take with us? What would you have us think about? I'm going to offer a duality, which is that we can transform the world one relationship at a time and to not to not forget that there is a system and not just individual relationships. I love that. Yeah. And there's work for us to do perhaps in both spheres. Indeed. Um, I noticed that I would be remiss. I, I keep saying it's the last thing and then I think of another. Um, what's next for you personally or professionally? I'm starting grad school in the fall. <laughs> I'm working on a degree on pastoral ministry. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to, working on a book proposal right now, an edited volume uh, with one of my co-conspirators. Uh, and my wife and I have started a, a business. We have uh, this little tagline that we're copywriting, which is, if, you've, if you have little children, you may have heard the expression, you get what you get and you don't get upset, right? So we've added to that, unless it's unjust, then let's make a fuss. Right, with the idea that early childhood education can be social justice oriented, right? That we don't want to be, you know, whining about the gray crayon versus the pink crayon. And at the same time, mm -hmm. if there is something in our environment that elevates somebody based on their status, rank, et cetera, right? That we want to be in solidarity making a really big fuss. And that I'm actually been working on the website, developing the website, and that's at uh, then let's make a fuss.com. Then let's make a fuss.com. Beautiful. I'm so glad I asked. Im Imani, I'm going to do it from memory. Imani Romney Rosa Chapman, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world and for, for being with us today. Anything else Thanks for you, for Alex? Me. 
No, I just appreciate Imani. Your, I we didn't know each other right before we started, and Christopher talked about how uh, I almost want to use gentle and grace. Like there's this gentleness and this grace that you know we didn't know each other, and we hopped on and and talked, and then through this, that you just are it's just part of your being and who you show up it's nothing you said or nothing specifically that you did it's just your energy and i and i'm just super grateful for that and i think you know it's it's something that as i'm being with you it's like i want to channel more when i'm being with other people to be able to have the impact because it does allow so much in simply because of how you show up so thanks for being an example for that thank you thank you i i want to just i i'd be remiss if i did not say send gratitude to Clarice who was in touch with me over these days and I'm forgetting is it Adam Adam on yeah. sound uh, there are people always doing invisible work that support our ability to be here and to show up together and um, and it's important to look around and see who they are I, I wouldn't be here without them and um, and I wouldn't be richer in this moment without this conversation with you all together. So thank you so much for having me. What a delight. Thank you for the work that you are doing. You can find out more by going to romneyassociates.com and find out all about the work that they do there or soon. Uh, then let's make a fuss.com. Is that right? Then let's make a fuss. Um, and so much more. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm I'm feeling very full and complete. How about you, two of you? Absolutely. Thank you yeah. so much for being yeah. with us. Thank you, Alex. You can find Alex Terranova at thedreammason.com or find his book, Fictional Authenticity, wherever fine books are sold. Just go to accomplishmentmedia.com and you can find out all about Alex <laughs> and his life or thedreammason.com. For... Imani Romney Rosa Chapman, please go to uh, romneyassociates.com. Um, you can find her lots of places on the board of the Roger L. Wallace Excellence in uh, Teaching Award uh, as part of the steering committee for the Coalition of Faith, Spiritual, and Ethical Communities for the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, and on and on. Uh, anything, and go check out that that website. I can't wait till it's there. Um, then let's make a fuss.com. I just think it's great. Thank you both very much. Thank you, our dear listener, for being with us uh, today. It's another edition of The Coaching Show each and every week, bringing you people out on the cutting edge, people you need to know about, or just plain interesting folks uh, in the areas of coaching. We thank you for your attention, and we'll talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.